Well, welcome everyone. Uh, I, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, we are on our final uh, portion of a three-part series called We Are the Church. Um, now, every believer uh, has been given a mission by God to advance his kingdom uh, and to get back his lost children. Uh, we will share uh, a good news with others, and, and we have to have a missional mindset uh, and not a self-centered one. And that's really the, the idea this morning that we're going to look at. Um, in our calling from God. Uh, I, I hope so far, that those that have been here the last couple of weeks, that we've gained a better understanding uh, of our purpose as believers, or at the very least have been reminded, if you've already been familiar with the stuff we've talked about, but the importance of the collective body of believers, the importance of coming together in unity uh, and, and utilizing our gifts, uh, not just for one another, but more importantly for God. And uh, we studied through 1 Corinthians 12, and Paul, he gives a metaphorical teaching about the many different parts of the church, yet with one body. He uses the human body as an example, and just talks about how they each have a different part to play, but it's equally important. Uh, those who sometimes we don't, the body parts we don't see are, are, are still very important. Some of them are vital, and we discuss that, and just the importance of, of being together in a church and utilizing the gifts that God has given us. And, and, and just the, the amazing thing, too, is that God has chosen us. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18, that he has chosen uh, and selected the people to be a part in, of, of the church in individual areas and, and to use the roles that he has granted them. And uh, it's, it's incredible. And then the church itself is an intricate design of, of different individuals, again, with different skill sets, gifts, passions, and personalities. Uh, but it's important that we come together ultimately uh, in unity and, and for one purpose, and that's to bring people to Jesus Christ. And that's going to require unity on our part. If the, if the world looks in and they see disunity, dysfunction uh, within the church, it's, it's hard to give them the gospel message and them to take it seriously if we're not living out what we preach. And so the first uh, key role that we each have as believers is simply to play our part, to be individually unified as believers and using our gifts to collectively bring glory to God. Now last week we looked at three exhortations given, by, given to us by the author of Hebrews in chapter 10, right? He says, let us draw near to God, let us hold fast to our confession, and let us consider one another. And that was the one that we really hit on the most last week. A scripture tells us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Uh, the phrase to stir up means simply to provoke, and I know that it has a negative connotation, but in this instance it's a positive one. Provoke one another to love and good works, and uh, we're called to elicit or spark off believers in the body to love and good works. Philippians says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to the interest, his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Excuse me. Similarly, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Now, sadly, there is, there's often discontentment, jealousy, rivalries, gossiping, and slander within the church. And I'm not saying specifically in this church. Perhaps there is. Uh, but generally, but between believers. And I find that differing denominations, uh, there's, there's a good opportunity there that opens the door for, for more options and, and, and a better opportunity to reach all people when there's differing denominations. But there also, there's, there's far too much infighting between them oftentimes. Uh, and I've been a part of that. I've, I've, I've seen it. I've heard it. 
And I wonder oftentimes, why is that? Why do we have so much animosity towards, towards other denominations, so to speak? They're still our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I believe that the enemy has attacked the inside of the church hard because he knows, and I believe he fears, a church body working in selfless unity. So if we can hold them apart from each other and form some sort of dysfunction, they'll be less, uh, less able to get the word of Jesus Christ out into the world effectively. So we're going to close this sermon series this week and, and we take what we have so far learned and apply it uh, to the call to bring the gospel message to all people. So if you have your Bibles, I'll give you a moment to turn to Romans chapter 10. Uh, we're just going to look at two verses uh, primarily this morning in, chapter, er, in verses 14 and 15 uh, and kind of break this down and see uh, what Paul has to say in regards to spreading the gospel. Romans chapter 10 starting in verse 14. And Paul does here what he's very good at. He, he asks many rhetorical questions to get the uh, listener or the reader thinking. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So this is immediately preceding uh, a couple of verses that Paul explains that there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Essentially, he's echoing the words of Jesus that salvation is meant for all people. It's not just meant for the Jews. It's not just meant for Israel, but it's meant for all people, the Gentiles included. And then Paul tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not every Jew who calls on the Lord. It's his everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's a wonderful truth that certainly deserves our celebration, right? Jesus paid the sacrifice. He paid the penalty of our sins and has given us new life and new hope on the cross. But then in verses 14 and 15, Paul asks a series of questions for us to ponder this morning. And the four questions, they go in order as follows. He says, how will they, being unbelievers, call on him, being Jesus? So how will unbelievers call on Jesus, whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Jesus, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? So all in all, these four questions really make up one larger question. How does God convey the good news to those who need it? Now the point of this passage, as John MacArthur explains, is that a clear presentation of the gospel message must precede true saving faith. True faith always has content, the revealed word of God. Salvation comes to those who hear and believe the facts of the gospel. Now I would contend even for a step further than um, Pastor MacArthur's statement that it also requires one confessing that Jesus is Lord. Because if you recall, even many of the Pharisees believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they wouldn't confess that he was Lord. They refused to confess in their hearts. So certainly Paul's questions should make us think this morning, but I believe they also give us an order of operations, uh, as it were, in the salvation process. And it comes from taking the questions he poses and really answering them from bottom to top. So answering the question number four first and moving your way up. Uh, so question number four, how are they to preach unless they are sent? So the answer to that is someone, some must be equipped and sent. And three, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Well, as they are sent, these people will preach the good news clearly and effectively. Uh, how are they to believe in Jesus of whom they've never heard? As they hear the good news of Jesus, they believe in the truth of Jesus. 
And how will these unbelievers call on Jesus, of whom they have not believed? As they believe in Jesus, they call on him, confess he is Lord, and are saved. So we get the order of operations, essentially, on salvation process, of, of hearing the good news, of accepting the good news, of believing the good news, of confessing the good news. Now before we go any further, I'd first like to say that I do not believe that we are all called to preach. I think it's pretty clear in James 3 verse 1 that it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I love that verse and it also terrifies me at the same time. <laughs> uh, it, it certainly keeps me honest, it keeps me in the Spirit, uh, constantly seeking the Holy Spirit's counsel as I study His Word because I do not wish to be on the wrong side of Judgment Day saying, hey, you teach the wrong gospel. Uh, so it's, it's a very condemning but very encouraging message at the same time. But I believe this falls really in line with what we discussed two weeks ago, right? The whole body is made up of several different parts. They all come together and work in unity for a greater purpose than themselves using our differing abilities and gifts. So not all are called to preach, just as all are not called to children's ministry or all are not called to women's ministry or to worship. Uh, we all use our differing abilities that God has given us uh, you know, in, a, in a specific calling and will from God above. Now as it pertains to sharing the good news, not preaching, but sharing the good news, I believe that we're all called to that responsibility as believers. And some of you are thinking, oh shoot, <laughs> I am called to share the gospel. Yes, you are. Um, I believe if we take the Great Commission that's found in Matthew 28 seriously and put it alongside with Paul's teaching here in Romans 10, then we're called to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said in Mark 16 verse 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Those are words from Jesus, not me. <laughs> so we've got to take those pretty seriously. He is commanding all believers to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And I believe that we can proclaim the gospel in two ways. Uh, in one way is preaching, teaching, verbally sharing the good news. Yes, that counts as one, not three. Um, <laughs> even though I counted three. And also by living out God's word as an example. But I also believe that we're called to proclaim the gospel through both ways, not just one or the other. Um, I believe that we're all called to proclaim it through both ways, both verbally and by the example of our lives that we live. Pastor Stephen Cole says, since the gospel is good news for all, we must proclaim it to all all. So here we have an incredible opportunity and a massive responsibility as believers to get the gospel message to all ears and hopefully our prayer and our hope is into all hearts as well. And we must have the attitude and mindset of Isaiah. And if you look in Isaiah 6 verse 8, he says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to his people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. We have to have that mentality and that mindset to be used by God. And can you imagine how effective the church would be if we all adopted this heart and this mindset? You know, if, if we didn't, if we laid aside all of our, 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 our worries or our doubts or our fears and just said, here I am, send me. You know, I don't know, even know what you're sending me into, but send me. I'm willing to go. It'd be absolutely incredible. But the enemy feeds into our insecurities. He feeds into our fears. And again, whether it's failure, rejection, whether it's a fear of persecution or something else entirely, he feeds into that and, and he throws doubts our way, right? These reasons that we come up with not to share God's word with the world. But if we, through Christ, would overcome the arrows of the enemy, we could be, all be used by God in such a miraculous way. See, being part of the church, guys, it's more than hiding in the confines of your own belief. Being a part of the church, it's sharing it with the world because there are, in fact, eternal implications at stake. So if you had the answer 
to cure the world of cancer. Say you, say you knew it. God, God provided to you or you just happened to you know, come across it one day. <laughs> but if you had the cure for world cancer, to, to cure the world of cancer, would you keep it to yourself? If you would, that's awful, and I'll be praying for you. Uh, but I imagine most people would not keep it to themselves. So why then, when the stakes are infinitely higher, would we withhold the truth of Jesus Christ that carries with it eternal implications? Right? Implications that go beyond the grave itself and into eternity. So the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it was primarily focused on the lost sheep of Israel, right? It, it was, he was pointing them to himself, right? The prophesied Messiah. These people were well aware of the, the, the Old Testament scriptures and, and well aware that there was supposed Messiah that was coming to save them of their sins. Now, towards the end of his ministry, though, he does give his disciples and all believers everywhere the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what we must understand is that we are all commanded by Christ to be disciples who, in essence, grow in their faith, come alongside other believers and help them mature in their faith, or, in other words, disciple them, and also teach them the gospel message of Jesus Christ, pointing them to the only way, the only truth, and the only life. So this is regardless of gifts, regardless of ability and passion. We're all called to take the gospel message to others. It's a command given to us by Jesus Christ himself. And so Jesus' final promise and his final call, however, they come in the, final, uh, the first chapter of Acts. Uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now I understand this might instill a little bit of fear in some people. Uh, uh, hearing that they, they're called to give the gospel message of truth verbally, not just through the life that they live, but also verbally to others around them. Um, it, it requires us um, to, to call on the Lord, and we're going to go on that in a moment. But I just want to encourage you guys that, that God has placed you uh, specifically where you are for a reason. He's placed the people around you in your life for a reason. And, and uh, I believe it is to, to not only live out the gospel message of truth, but also to share it as well. And as we're going to look at how, he, how God uses just ordinary people, uh, he will equip you with the words to say, and, and you just have to be reliant on the Holy Spirit's discernment and direction of when to speak. There's times when the Holy Spirit tells me to, to shut my mouth, oftentimes in my marriage. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's other times where he tells me to speak when I don't want to, uh, like right now. So, uh, so I'm always doing things I don't want to do uh, in the flesh, but uh, they're always good in the Spirit. Um, and so let's see here, what, what Jesus gives us is a map of sorts in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, right? He lists Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and to, to the ends of the earth. Uh, for the disciples, Jerusalem was really their center of operations. It was the, at the central heart of the Jewish people. And uh, it's where the Holy Spirit tells us that Pentecost came upon them and their, and their numbers initially boomed. It says 3,000 were saved in that one day at Pentecost. So Jerusalem was in essence, it was, it was family and community, right? If we looked at it today, this command for us today, Jerusalem would be essentially where we're at here with our family, with our local community. Um, 
And then so perhaps it's our co-workers, uh, stuff like that. And then Judea and Samaria represents the expanded community. Maybe it's people we don't really know that well in this area or expanded in the community of Michigan or even you can look at America as a whole. It's a wider range of our country, neighboring towns, things like that. And then the ends of the earth, um, if you can really guess what that one is, it's pretty clear, is it's global missions. But God has called each of us somewhere to take his message of truth. And for some of us, it may just simply be like in our backyard, right? The people we are in contact with every day. For others, it may be something like global missions on a a larger scale and then going out into the world and proclaiming the good news. The message of Jesus, though, command is clear, right? Everyone matters to him. Every single life matters to Jesus. And we have the responsibility to spread the good news to everyone. So how does God intend to get this message out to all people? I think it's very simple. He uses ordinary people. He uses men and women alike to bring the gospel to all. We, we know God is all-powerful, so if he really wanted to, he could open up the clouds. You know, he, he could part the sky, say, I'm God, you're not, repent, <laughs> come to me, get right. But he doesn't do that, right? He uses ordinary people to be his ambassadors and to be his mouthpiece. Now, sometimes I believe that we, again, fear our inadequacy too much, right? We believe that we have to have some sort of degree in theology, uh, have answers to all the difficult questions. And the thing is, though, guys, maybe this is an encouragement to you this morning, is is no one has all the answers that pertain to God and his creation. No one has all the answers. Job chapter 11, verse 7 says, Can you solve the mysteries of God? Can you discover everything about the Almighty? And the answer to those rhetorical rhetorical questions is a clear no. We cannot. Similarly, 1 Corinthians 2.11 tells us, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. In other words, we do not know the thoughts of God unless he so desires to reveal it to us. So some answers are not going to be revealed to us in our limited, finite minds and understanding. And my belief is that we just simply don't even have the capacity to understand God and all the mysteries of him. He is far beyond and far greater than anything that we could fully comprehend. And so we are not going to know all the mysteries of him until we enter into heaven. So what I'm trying to say is that it's okay not to have all the answers. I'm going to be clear. I'm a pastor. My six-year-old has stumped me (laughs) with questions before. I'm like, ah, that's a good question. Uh, Let me go look, see if I can get back with you a good answer. Uh, And and sometimes I I, I find an answer I can share with him, and sometimes I just simply say, you know what, buddy? We don't know until we get to heaven. That's something you can ask God. You can sit on his lap and ask him all the questions, and I'll get a break uh, from these tough things. (laughs) He's all yours, Jesus. He's got a lot of questions for you. Um, But we cannot allow our doubts to hold us back from a job with eternal implications. We can't simply just allow our fears to to be withheld, to withhold truth from the world. It's it's not okay. And what we have to come to understand is that when we think that, you know, things like, I can't do this, you know, I, I, I don't have what it takes. You know what, you're probably right. You are probably right. And that's exactly where God wants us to be. I remember in, in college, my least favorite class was, uh, was public speaking, and I was so bad at it. I mean, I was awful. My first, my first lesson, our first public speaking lesson, it was five minutes, and we had to give an instructional teaching on how to do something. So I was like, okay, well, I, I don't want to do this, but I'll, I'll teach people in five minutes on how to make the best sandwich in the world. And uh, really stupid lesson, first of all. Uh, second of all, uh, they, had, they had someone in there counting all your filler words. I had five minutes, remember, five-minute speech. They counted all the uhs, ums, like, you know, those kinds of things. And I think they counted 400 in five minutes. 
And I was like, wow, this is awful. I hate this. I hated every, every single second of those five minutes. I couldn't wait to sit down and just try to get a passing grade. All I wanted was a passing grade because it was required to get my uh, degree. So I was like, just get a passing grade in this and uh, we'll be good to go. And I think I got like a C minus in it at the time. You know, I passed. You know, that was really good for me at the time. And, uh, and then what does God call me to do? <laughs> Be a pastor, be a preacher. Oh, great. Uh, I'm just going to do my least favorite class you know, every Sunday for the rest of my life. That sounds wonderful, God. Um, God knows my sarcasm. Don't worry, guys. I, I <laughs> um, but uh, I just want to let you know that it requires me every single Sunday to lean on his strength because I know I can't do it. If I was coming up here on my own strength, it, it would be awful. And you're like, it is awful every Sunday. Uh, no, but uh, it, would be, it would be absolutely a train wreck without the Holy Spirit's guidance and, uh, and power. And uh, I just love 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. It says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Romans 8.24 tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Philippians 4.13 reminds us that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. Isaiah 40.29 tells us that he gives power to the faint. Do I need to go on? Because <laughs> I could if, if you really needed it. But, but if those verses aren't enough to stir your heart into action this morning, perhaps looking at the examples of people God uses throughout Scripture will be good enough to motivate you. So let's look at just a few, and I say few because there's plenty, but let's look at a few biblical examples of ordinary men that God uses for extraordinary results. Number one, let's start with Moses, right? Moses is, is well known, he's well thought of in the, in the Jewish community and in the, in the Israelites, uh, you know, going throughout history in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, they always refer back to Moses as the guy, you know, the, the, to emulate before Jesus came, of course. This is a God-chosen figure to lead the Israelites out of captivity from, from Egypt. And Egypt at the time was the powerhouse, the most powerful uh, country, the most powerful people in the world at the time. So what is Moses' weakness? It's a speech impediment, right? In fact, Moses tries to use the impediment as an excuse for his insufficiency for such a position. And I think it's, you know, looking at him, like, that's a fair argument, you know. You got to be a, a talker and you, and you have a speech impediment. Yeah, you know. But as it's clear here, guys, and as it's clear I've seen in my own life and maybe you've seen it in yours, no excuse is good enough for God when he calls you to do something. He's going to call you to do it and he's going to equip you to do it. So what, is, what does Moses become? He becomes the messenger of God to Pharaoh first, who was the, was the greatest leader at the time in the world, human leader, and then to the entirety of God's people, right? He became the, the mouthpiece of God to the entire Israelite people. We look at David, right? King David. He was God's chosen king of Israel. He's in the lineage of Jesus. But what was his weakness? I don't know if it's a weakness per se, but maybe the world would see it as a weakness. He was young. He's the youngest brother in a family. He came from a modest upbringing. He was a simple shepherd boy. You know, he didn't have the makings of a king, right? Like Saul. All the people saw Saul and he was like, that's a king. You know, he looks like a king. He's big and tall and strong and tan and he can fight. But God chose David, right? Little David, just a little shepherd boy. And what does he become? He becomes the greatest king apart from Christ for Israel. And it tells us that he's a man after God's own heart. And I understand that David had his own failures. He had his own downfalls. But if you ever read through the Psalms, his words are absolutely incredible. And you can understand why God calls him a man after my own heart. 
Look at the apostles, right? This is a simple ragtag group of fishermen. There's a tax collector bunched in there. There's a zealot, which isn't really a profession, but it's likely that he engaged in, in political uh, things and anarchy, trying to overthrow the Roman government. Uh, and then we also have a thief. You know, you place all these guys into the apostles group. None of them are educated. Maybe Matthew is as a, as a, uh, a tax collector to a small degree, yet God chose them to be pioneers to lead the expansion of the early church. God chose these people. He could have chosen maybe Pharisees and draw them closer to his heart and use these people. And we see that with Paul, certainly later on. But in the early on, the, the 12 disciples are just simple people, no degrees, and he uses them to speak eloquently. And I love the story, if you were with us when we studied through the book of Acts, when Peter is arrested for healing someone on the Sabbath and, and he stands before the Sanhedrin, the court, and uh, he explains what he's doing and he, he literally calls out the, the, the uh, Pharisees uh, for their heresy and for their lack of faith and all these things and it tells us that they were shocked and amazed uh, at his eloquence of speech. Remember, this is a fisherman uh, with no prior teaching, or other than Jesus, of course, but working through the Holy Spirit, he was able to give an eloquent speech that dumbfounded these, <laughs> these men had no response to him. And lastly, let's look at Gideon from the Old Testament. And, and this is from the mouth of Gideon himself. He says he is part of the weakest clan in Manasseh and the least in his father's house. So he's the, in the weakest clan and he's the least in his father's house. That doesn't make for, for what you would think is a great leader, right? He deems himself really no one of value or any redeeming qualities before the Lord. And yet God chose him to lead a group of 300 men wielding torches and clay pots uh, to take down the massive Midianite army. And Gideon becomes the military leader. He becomes a judge and a prophet for God. And again, he also also has his uh, downfalls and his weak points. But don't we all? You know, that's just more, more proof that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And the Bible, again, is chock full of this, this kind of stuff. And, and we know that God is always faithful. And if he calls us to something, he'll be sure to give us everything that we need to do it. And so all that is really required on our parts, guys, is, is, is two basic responses. Number one is faith. And number two is obedience. Right? We must be obedient to the commands of God, the great commandment, which tells us to love your neighbor as yourself, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and the great commission which tells us to go therefore make disciples of all nations um, baptizing them in the name of the Father Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us and so in order for us to be completely obedient though we must have the faith that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it and so when we allow fear to rule our hearts we become stagnant in our call right there's a, you know, you see like a deer in the headlights, right? They just freeze in place. When we become fearful, we're no longer moving forward for Christ. We become glued to the spot, as it were, rather than going out into the world. And the good news of Jesus Christ, in turn, does not go out and is not shared. And so we must maintain a missional mindset, guys, looking upward and outward rather than focusing on inward, on our inward self. Uh, Professor George Smeaton once said, Ministry is a failure unless souls are converted to Christ. So why, why is the church still here? What's the point of the church? You know why are we still here? I think the answer is simple, guys. It's to be salt and light and to make disciples and to draw people to, to Jesus Christ. As ambassadors of God, we're not here on this earth to simply bide our time. We're not here to enjoy uh, life as much as possible. You know, just come on Sunday mornings, get filled up, uh, enjoy the week, and then come back the next Sunday, get filled up. It's so much more than that. And, and this is what Jesus and Paul's heart was for the world, that the Jews and Gentiles would hear the gospel and respond with repentance and faith. But people cannot hear the gospel unless someone brings them the gospel, right? 
So the question for each of us this morning is, essentially, where has God put you? Where is your mission field? Who are the people you are called to bring the gospel message to? I think we've already established that we're all called to carry the gospel to others in this world. So the question we must answer is, where is God calling you to carry it? Perhaps it's in the home. Maybe raising a family right now and, and to know and love the Lord with all their hearts, with all their souls, with all their mind and strength. Perhaps it's equipping them to also carry the message of Jesus Christ with them wherever he calls them. Right? Equipping, equipping the next generation to be disciple makers as well. For others, it may be in the workplace. Right? God has placed a certain person or maybe certain people on your heart. So your call is to be salt and light, uh, and this is a crucial calling for them to hear the truth and turn to Jesus. But alongside with your example of Christ, there needs to be words of Christ. And they need to go hand in hand, right? If, if, if one is just preaching the gospel message but not showing the gospel message, it's not going to be effective. If we're just showing the gospel message but not teaching the gospel message, then they don't have the questions of why is this person different? Why, why are they living this way? Why do they have such joy in their heart? If we don't share it with them, the answers to the, those why questions, they'll never hear the gospel message either. So they have to work together uh, simultaneously spontaneously and in unity. Now for others, and I believe to all of us to some extent are called into the community, right, and, and to those around us. When the darkness falls over a whole community, if you remember back um, last summer, right, we had a lot of, a lot of deaths and, and, and suicides and, and just darkness just over this whole entire community. I felt so overwhelmed as a pastor. I said, I don't even know what to do at this point. I just feel like I'm fighting a, a, a failing battle at this moment. Um, but I remember just, and I feel like we've kind of gotten pushed through that as a community, and, and certainly there's still darkness there, but there's more light than we have seen in the past. And, but when darkness falls over a whole community, we're given the opportunity to show them the light, right? To grab their hands and, and bring them to Jesus Christ and show them the, the true way and the true life. And God will give us ample opportunity, I truly believe this, to share his truth to those around us. If we, if we pray and ask God just to, to give us an opportunity and, and to make us aware of that opportunity throughout the day, it will be there. And so the question remains, will we be faithful when that, when that calling has come upon us that day and share that message? And, last, and lastly, some of you may be called into the ends of the earth, right? Perhaps God is calling you uh, beyond the borders of our own community, beyond the borders of our own country even, and into other parts of the world. And this is an incredible opportunity and calling to be a part of. I can understand that could be a scary calling, especially if it's long-term missions that God is pulling you to, but it's also exciting. I've never heard a long-term missionary regret <laughs> being obedient to Jesus. Uh, I always hear incredible testimonies, uh, and it's truly amazing and remarkable, the faith that, that many of these missionaries missionaries have as they go out into this world and, and just give the gospel message to those who need it. But when we walk out of these doors, we're entering into our mission field, guys. So this is, this is part of the equipping of the saints as it tells us in Ephesians 12, uh, 4.12. It says to, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what Sunday mornings are for. For most of us, the work in the ministry is not in here. It, it's, it's out there. And the message as we looked at today in, in Romans 10, verse 15, it ends with, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And it's not talking literally, my feet are terrible. Um, I thought as a preacher, you know, my feet would transform into something nice or something, but that's not the case. Uh, but Paul here, he's quoting from Isaiah 52, verse 7, right? At that time, the nation of Israel was coming out of its Babylonian captivity. And so this good news of freedom was spreading to all the people, right? And it parallels to the New Testament of Jesus. It's not really difficult to spot the, the parallels that we see uh, to Jesus in the New Testament. The nation of Israel is given the news of freedom from a physical captivity in Isaiah. And the good news of Jesus also tells of a freedom from captivity, but on a spiritual level, right? This is a spiritual, eternal freedom from captivity of our sins. 
So the message, the message of Jesus is just too good, guys, to keep it to ourselves. I understand that fear may, may hinder us at times. Doubt may hinder us at times. Inadequacy may hinder us at times, but that's not good enough, right? No excuse is good enough for Jesus, for God, to, to, uh, to not do what he has called us to do. You know, have, you, have you ever, any, by show of hands, ever had any news that was jo- just so exciting that you couldn't hold it in yourself? You, can't, you couldn't keep it to yourself? You know, I think when Katie was pregnant for the first time, I, I told people, like every, everybody, you know, I'd be at her, you know, just randomly in a coffee shop waiting in line, my wife's pregnant, you know. <laughs> oh, okay, that's, that's great, bud. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care, I don't know you. But you just have that news, you just can't contain it, right? It's so good, you just have to share it with people. And that's the kind of mindset and mentality we should have with the gospel message, right? This news is too good to hold on to it ourselves. We must share the good news of Jesus because lives are counting on it. As long as there are billions of people that have never heard the news, we must commit ourselves to getting the good news to them. There's an African proverb that really hit home in regards to this. And the proverb goes like this, There is only one crime worse than murder on the desert, and that is to know where the water is and not tell. Guys, we know where the water is this morning, right? We know where the eternal water is, the springs of life. So the, the, worst, the worst crime that we can have is not to tell people about it. God forgives every sinner who trusts in the Lord, uh, Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so we'd have to tell people that. The popular evangel- evangelist J. John, he said, go on a mission trip, walk next door. <laughs> you know, he tweeted that in uh, 2016. Every Christian can be and should be a missionary, regardless of our vocation, regardless of our location. Everyone everywhere needs to hear the gospel message. So it's up to each of us to make sure that gospel message gets out. Now with that said, I do want to share just for a moment about next year's missions trip to Guatemala. Every year, City on a Hill Community Church in Olivette uh, takes a missions trip to Guatemala. And so for the past few years, they've been working in the, in the small mountain village of Tabacal. And uh, I, I had the privilege of going there a few years ago. Uh, I think it was the first year they really started working there. And uh, they've helped build this, this small village, very small village up in the mountains in Guatemala. Beautiful location, but very small. And uh, they helped them build a church. They've helped get access to clean running water. And they've helped build and equip them with a school, with computers and everything. It's absolutely remarkable. Um, and they've also worked uh, to equip some of the men in the village, um, to, to teach them how to be pastors as well, to, to shepherd the flock. Um, and so if you feel God calling you outside our borders and into the world, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to be a part of. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to sell you on this. Uh, this the Holy, that's the Holy Spirit's job. I'm just informing you. Um, so so if if the Holy Spirit's pulling you in this direction, I just pray that you would you'd be obedient and, and continue to, to hear from the Holy Spirit about something like this. The trip takes place uh, June 25th to, Ju- to July 2nd of next year, of 2020. Um, we don't have an exact cost. It's approximately $1,700, and that pays for airfare, for lodging, for, for food, uh, three meals a day, and the opportunity uh, also to bring supplies and stuff to the village of Tabacal. Um, and it's just... It, 
it can really reach any area of, of skill sets too. If you're a builder, they have opportunities for you to, to build and be a part of that. If you're great with children, they have the opportunity for you to have a little VBS with them and teach them. Uh, if you're just good with people in general, you know, you can just spend time with the adults and, and just have opportunities to share with them the gospel message and just to, to hear from them, to pray with them. Uh, but there's there's ample opportunity for all people to be a part of this. Um, and I would love I would love for our church to bring a handful of people to work work alongside the Olivet Church. I think they usually bring about 20 people. And I would love to have you know a handful of us. I'd really like to see myself or Katie go this year, uh, as well as some others. So just pray on it if that's where you feel God calling about it. Um, but uh, I've been on several missions trips, um, short-term missions trips like this in my life. I've been to uh, Costa Rica, Jamaica and uh, Guatemala and uh, every time you know I go with this idea you know I'm gonna go change the world over there and, and there's always opportunities and, and we bring people to Christ and we, we build these great relationships with these other believers outside of our our borders here in America but every time I come home I just feel like those people spoke into my life more than I ever did to them. You know, they, I feel like I grew so much in my faith because of them rather than vice versa. You know, we go with the idea that we're going to change them and bring them to Jesus, but I feel like they've also brought me closer to Jesus in the process. And um, it's just a wonderful opportunity. I know it can be scary, but I would just encourage you to pray about it. Uh, I understand that not all of us are in the season of life where that's uh, doable, but, uh, but we're going to have this opportunity each and every year and, and hopefully eventually even expand beyond Guatemala into other areas of the world. I would love us to be a, a church that is um, on fire about bringing the gospel to all places on the earth. And um, So with that said, uh, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you today and Lord, I just thank you for your gospel message of truth and uh, just the joy and the happiness and, and just the excitement and the eternal implications it brings us, Lord, that there is hope now when there was none. And God, we, I just have to understand that we cannot obtain salvation on our own merit. That there's nothing we can do. We can't be good enough to obtain it. God, we're, we're, all, we're all sinners. That's what it tells us in Romans, God. And Lord, I just ask that those who, who may have heard the message before but may have not responded to it, that your Holy Spirit would just convict them and just fill them with the truth of your word, Lord, and the goodness and, and the hope that it brings, Lord. And Lord, I just pray for everyone here this week, that, uh, that you just equip them and prepare them and, and just give them the strength they need, the words to say, um, and how to say it, and when to say it, Lord, this week, that they would just be, begin to spread the gospel message of truth to those around them and to the world in general, Lord, because the world needs more of you, Lord, and uh, we just thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Lord, I just pray that we are a, a church that is unified in encouraging one another and uplifting one another and just ultimately drawing closer to you, reading your word and, and worshiping together and also on our own, Lord, and we just give this day to you. We thank you for the beauty of your creation that is all around us, that we can enjoy it and marvel in it, and we just give this day to you. In your name we pray. Amen.